This week I had the privilege this last week to go to Atlanta, Georgia with the youth and I had a van full of junior high girls and Jim Franklin. But, you know, all those shoe boxes that we collect every year for Samaritan's Purse. You know, there's a warehouse in Atlanta. We've been over there every year for, for a number of years now. And, and so, um, you know, the focus of our time there is to pack boxes. And yet some of these young people like to shoot rubber bands. <laughs> and unfortunately, they influence their pastor. <laughs> or is... Is it the other, or is it the other way around? Well, maybe it's the other way around because I remember the first year that we went, myself and another young man um, started that. And in fact, I went up to the ladies that were uh, in charge of us over there in Atlanta and um, I told them, I put my arm around them and I said, listen now, we love to shoot rubber bands. And I promise you at the end of the day, I'll clean them all up. And I did. But I want you to know that toward the end of that time, man, it was like a war. There were rubber bands flying all over the place. And believe it or not, your pastor was involved in all that. And, um, but we had a wonderful time. And you know, at the end of that, one of the workers there who was supervising came over and said, listen, I just want you to know that your young people have done a tremendous job today. And so I just want to thank the young people. They did a tremendous job this last week. The youth leaders, they did, did, did a great job. All right, if you have a nativity scene at your home, how many of you have a nativity scene at your home? How many of you, in the nativity scene, you have wise men? Admit it, just raise your hand up, all right? I thought about it this week as I was preparing for this morning. You take those wise men and put them in the hall. Um, really, because if you're to read the story around the birth of Christ, you know that the wise men come later. Um, there's a distinction. If you look in the gospel accounts in Luke 2 and then Matthew 2, in Luke 2, the term infant is used or babe. But when you come to Matthew 2, it's child. So there is a distinction between the time that the shepherds are with Christ and the time that the wise men are with Christ. And that's important for you to know. So there's nothing wrong with you having that, that nativity scene, but just put them down the hall, around the corner, whatever it is that you need to do, because they come at a different time. And uh, as I was studying to prepare for this morning, knowing that I wouldn't have any other weeks necessarily in the Christmas season, I thought, man, that's going to be really hard to do, just one Sunday morning, uh, focusing in on these wise men. But I thought it, it's really good because it's going to help us to consider our own focus. Because what you're going to find is that these guys, amidst distraction, because there's distraction as they come to Jerusalem, um, you're going to find that these guys remain focused. They just stay focused. And I thought it'd be good for me to kind of take you through and, and look with you this morning at what it is that we learn from Matthew 2 in relationship to these wise men. What do we learn? You know, um, a lot of time could be spent on just trying to answer the unanswerable questions. Um, how many were there, right? 
Uh, people say, well, there were three because there were three gifts. Well, do we know that there were just three wise men? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible tells us they come from the east, but where from the east? The Bible doesn't give us any specifics as to, to, to a specific town or area that they're from. Uh, how many traveled uh, with them? Was it just the three of them? How long did the journey take? Uh, what were their names? How did they know in the first place about this Jesus who was king? I mean, you could spend literally all day long trying to wrestle with these questions. But as I've studied, I've thought, you know, the Lord told us just what he wanted us to know. Right? You could teach Matthew 2 from the perspective of fulfilled prophecy, because within this chapter, in chapter 2, there are four prophecies alone fulfilled. So you could look at it from that perspective, and there would be nothing wrong with that. But I kind of want to focus in this morning on the wise men and look at a little bit at the reaction of Herod. But I want us this morning to think about that term focus. Focus. Um, what is it that grabs your attention every day? What's the focus of your day? If, if I was to say, what's your focus today? Well, it's going to be different things within your day that you're going to do. You've come to church. Uh, you have maybe have plans this afternoon. You're going to come back tonight for macaroni balls, right? There's a lot of different things going on in your day today. And if I ask you about tomorrow, but, you know, while there are a lot of events that go on in our day couldn't it be said that the main focus of our day is Christ and him alone? So whether we're going to work or whether we're going to a concert or wherever, wherever it is where they're going, that we, we, our, our attention needs to be on the person of Christ. And I find it fascinating that these men travel a long distance and they come and their focus is on Christ. And nothing in chapter 2 suggests that they ever lose their focus, uh, which I really like. I'm impressed with that. Uh, it, it really made uh, me think about my own life in terms of my uh, focus. There's a quote from a source. I do not know who wrote this, but I like it. What consumes your mind controls your life. What consumes your mind controls your life. And, you know, the Apostle Paul in, in Colossians chapter 3, he tells us that we're to set our mind where? On the things above. And do you know what the next phrase is? Where Christ is. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, right? So that focal point for the believer is to be Christ. We're to be consumed with him. Uh, he is truly to, to, to guide our thoughts on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. He needs to be the one that consumes our minds. Unfortunately, in our culture today, there are so many things that, that, that grab our attention, right? Things that really, at the end of the day, uh, don't necessarily matter. But I think it's a good challenge for us to think about what controls our minds every day. What are we consumed with? And it'd be great to say that during this, what people call the holiday season, if our minds were controlled by the Spirit of God and our focus was on Christ, but it wasn't just for a season. 
It's not just for three or four weeks, but that every single day of our life as a believer is focused on the person of Christ. Um, Christmas does bring into focus Christ, but think about this. In the Old Testament, right from the beginning, there's a prophecy in Genesis 3 that points toward Christ. The prophets in the Old Testament pointed toward Christ. You come to the New Testament and you have the birth of Christ, right? You have the life of Christ. Um, You have the death of Christ. You have the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. One day, we're gonna have the coming of Christ for the church, and then you're gonna have the second coming. At the second coming, who's the focal point? Christ. And then we have eternity, and who's the focal point? Christ. So we better jump on board. Because the focal point, right, according to God and what I can see from his word, the focal point for each and every one of us should be Christ. Um, when I got to thinking about that, I was like, man, these wise men, yeah, they were focused on Christ, specifically focused on one thing, but, but wow, it shouldn't just be like a season where believers think about Christ more whether it's Christmas or Easter, it should be something that that I'm thinking about every single day of my life, that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I wanted to go over three things that I observed from this text uh, concerning the wise men. First of all, I want you to note the question that they have. Let's look in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, look at verse 1. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, and here's their question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now there's a couple things I want you to notice um, right away. First of all, I want you to notice the language there. Who has been born is what? In grammar. What is that? Past tense. Who has been born? Well, that's significant when you're comparing and contrasting the scene with the shepherds and the scene with the wise men. Who has been born? But there's also a second observation here that I think is really important. And it's what's not asked versus what is. They ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They don't ask this. Where is the one to become king of the Jews? Mm, There's a big difference between those two questions. Their question is not where is the one to become king of the Jews. Their question is where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Um, And this gets some response. This gets some response. So their question is simply where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And then we move from their question to their purpose. Look at verse uh, 2, part B. So it says in the first part, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to do what? We've come to worship him. We've come to worship him. And so there's two observations that I see here. First of all, they've come to worship him. They've come from, a, from afar, according to the scriptures. We don't know how long their journey was, but their focus was simply one thing all right we don't know how far their journey was but their focus was simply one thing their purpose was to worship the king 
period. Okay, that was their focus. Um, as you're going to see from the rest of the story, they could have gotten off track, but they don't. Um, you know, we come on Sunday mornings. The question becomes, do we come to worship? Is that why you come? Right? Do you come to worship or do you come to be entertained? Right? Some, some people come to be entertained maybe in churches today. Right? That's their primary focus. I want to be entertained. What's in it for me? But the focal point of these wise men is simply worship. We're going to look at that term in just a few minutes. Their focal point was, is simply worship. And you know, it's easy to get distracted. If we say, just for the sake of example, that this next week, our focal point is going to be every single day, we're going to focus in on worshiping the Lord. Whatever we're doing, that's what we're going to do, right? Because it seems to be that the Lord wants us all the time. If you just took the example of pray without ceasing, right? He wants us in continual prayer. People say, that's impossible. I got, I got to drive. I got to work. It's a mindset. You know what the mindset is? Is that I always need the Lord. So there ought to be a mindset with believers that I need to always worship the Lord. But I'm easily distracted. So I, how do I handle that? I can't even walk in a grocery store without being distracted. How many of you make a list when you go into a grocery store? You make a list? How many of you ever buy things off the list? Right, so you're, you're walking down the aisles, and this is what happens to me. Like, Teresa will say, hey, babe, I need you to pick up bread and milk. Well, I'm good with the bread and milk. I want bread and milk, but, but there's all these aisles, and there's two aisles that, that tend to distract me all the time, and the one aisle is the cookie aisle. I really love that aisle. How many of you, you love that? And I really love Nutter Butters. They're so good, and they're so good with milk. So why go to the store and just buy milk when I need the Nutter Butters or the Oreo cookies, right? And so there's that distraction. But then if that's really not working for me, there's always the frozen section. And I'm not going, right, for the frozen dinners. But there's this row that has this stuff in these, behind the glass, and it's called ice cream. Amen, Right? And I've been on this kick lately with um, um, mint chocolate chip. Any of you have ever had mint chocolate? If you haven't, confess and go today and get some. <laughs> Isn't it easy to get distracted? I can go in, I have a list. I can even have these things that I write, these to-do calendars. and These are the things I'm going to do. But it's easy to get distracted. Well, I want you to know the rest of the story. These guys don't get distracted. And they're not just facing anybody when they come to Jerusalem. I want you to notice what happens in between. All right, look in verse 3. And when Herod the king heard it, <laughs> he was troubled. The word there means agitated, irritated. Why? Who's the king? He's the king, right? He's the king. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ or the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, 
For it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means among the leaders, uh, least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Wow, so Herod's being educated as to who this one is. Now, if you're Herod, right, if you know anything about Herod, you know this guy was a ruthless man. And it was all about him. And if he needed to eliminate family that was a threat, he would do it. If he needed to eliminate wives that were a threat, he would do it. He was all about what? Himself. Now, careful because um, Herod wanted to eliminate the threat, as we're going to see. But do you know that Jesus today is a threat to people? Now, careful, because he is a threat to non-believers. And if you just took the one issue of Christmas, right? Let's just say this, even though the wise men are hanging around down the hall. Let's just take the issue of Christmas. You know, I, I don't know how it happened, when it happened. I guess I know how it happened, but when it happened, I don't first remember. But this whole happy holiday stuff. Right? And it's like happy holidays. What, what I, when I was growing up, it was Merry Christmas. Any of you growing up saying, Merry Christmas? And it was okay. And we weren't so concerned with how that was being heard. We just were rejoicing. Merry Christmas. Because it's about Christ. And now, in order to be correct, we must say happy holidays. Because we don't want to offend people. Well, I've got some good news for you guys. The gospel offends. People are going to be offended. So, you know what? Let's stand up and let's say Merry Christmas. Because the focal point of Christmas is Christ. Well, Herod wants to eliminate the threat, right? That's what he wants to do. We're going to see that in this as we go along in this. But not only is Jesus a threat to non-believers, could it be said that Jesus is a threat to you and me as believers? Now think about it. He's a threat maybe to the way I want to live my life. True? Yeah, because if, it's, if, I'm, if I'm really sold out to Christ, then it's all about him and all about what he wants for me and my life. So I believe, thinking through it over this last week or two, not only is Christ a threat to the non-believer, but I believe he can be a threat to the believer. In fact, there's an illustration of this I wanted to share with you. This is years ago that this was written. I say years ago. It was early 2000s. Um, it happened in Chicago. And right at the beginning of when all this, hey, happy holidays and all this stuff was going on, and they were talking about... Uh, Christmas, and one of the guys from Moody wrote this article, and he wrote this, liberal churchmen have been teaching for decades that it is not necessary to believe the Christmas story in order to be a Christian. What do we make of the story of the stars, the wise men, and angels? Well, a liberal minister asked his congregation in Chicago a few years ago this question. 
or made this statement, excuse me. Is it not, nece- it is not necessary to believe that these events happened. We must simply believe in the spirit of Christmas. These actual events are really truly not the issue. I read that and I thought, what? The author goes on to write, he says, he actually encountered, excuse me, he actually said this. He said, um, to leave out Christ out of Christmas is to leave out the shell without a kernel. It's to leave a cup without the water. There's nothing there. There's no foundation. And so as I was thinking about this threat that was real in the life of Herod, being Christ, he's a threat to the believer as well at times. And so we need to think through that. Well, let's keep reading in the story. It says, verse 7, Then Herod secretly called the Magi. So he secretly gathers them together. And he ascertains from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Is he telling the truth? No, he's lying. He's a deceiver. Where does he get all that from? Well, who's the father of lies? Satan's the father of lies. He's the ultimate deceiver. In fact, we have to be careful, don't we, guys? We do. We have to guard ourselves. That's why we have, right, that passage in Ephesians 6. And we need to put on the full armor of God, right? That we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He is the accuser. He is the one that accuses. He is the one that deceives. Um, So Herod simply being deceptive. We're going to see that later on in the text. And then verse 9 says, And having heard the king... They went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. Notice the reaction here of these wise men. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, which leads us to, um, I'm going to have to come back to that, which leads us to their response. Notice verse uh, 11. Notice verse 11. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So what do you have these wise men doing upon seeing the child? Notice what it says, verse 11. And they came into the house and they saw the child. Now, If you go out there and you read this story to just anyone, that looks like a, what? I mean, here these guys are walking into the house of a toddler and they're going to bow down and worship him. But I would suggest to you, this is not just any other toddler, right? The Bible tells us, Verse 11, they came into the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. That word um, worship is an interesting word in the, in the New Testament. It's the word proskuneo, right? It means to bow before. And sometimes it's used in terms of respect. There are examples in the New Testament. I think there's over 60 times where this word is used. 
And several times it's used in terms of respect. Someone showing respect to one in authority. But in this case, it seems to be more than that. It seems to be more than just respect. Notice the position of these wise men. Notice what it says in the middle of verse 11. How do they respond when they see the child? What does the Bible say? They fall down. They fall down. They don't just stand there and go, oh, there's the child. They fall down. They fall down, the Bible says, and they worshiped him, right? They worshiped him. Um, there's a couple of examples in the gospel of Matthew where that same term is used, where you have this worship going on of Christ. I want you to take your Bibles and go over just a few chapters to chapter 14. I want you to see the same word is used to refer to the worship of Jesus Christ. If you go to Matthew chapter 14. Look in verse 22 of Matthew 14. And it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And it was evening and he was there alone. But the boat was already uh, many miles away from the land, battered by the waves for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking upon the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, the Bible says their response, they were frightened, saying it is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. You know, sometimes when you read these stories, you're like, Did that really, were they really scared? Answer, yes, they were. Verse 27 says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And what did Peter do? He got out of the boat. This is a side sermon. Real quick. He got out of the boat. There's a lot of theologians that criticize Peter when he takes his eyes off the Lord and, and the circumstances around him begin to overtake him. But I look at the story and I go, man, he got out of the boat. I understand what happens at the end of the story, but the man got out of the boat. You talk about focus, there it was right there. That's a great example of focus. It's also an example at the end that he got off focus. But notice it says that he got out of the boat and walked in the water and came toward Jesus. As far as I know, there's only been two to walk on water. Jesus and Peter. What would that be like, right? And we're not talking about the fact that he got out and things were calm. And that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us the storm was fierce. The wind and the waves were there. They were real. And he gets out of the boat. Notice verse... 30 says, but seeing the wind. Now, you don't see wind. What do you see, though? You see the results, don't you, of wind? The Bible says, he became afraid. 
beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. By the way, you have to give credit to Peter, not only for, give credit to Peter for getting out of the boat, but give credit to Peter for calling on the only one that could save him. Huh, right? Listen to me. There's only one that can save you spiritually, and that's Christ. And that's why the Philippian jailer had the message, right? That Paul had the message to the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved because there's no one else that can save you. Notice verse 31, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Um, He didn't say he had no faith. He just said little faith. Verse 32, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Right? And the picture there is of the wind ceasing immediately. Verse 33 says, and those who were in the boat... What did they do? What's the next phrase? And those who were in the boat worshipped him. They worshipped him. And the, and the evidence of that is the statement saying, you are certainly God's son. So as I was thinking about that, I thought, well, you know, we make a lot of statements about the Lord, don't we? When we sing songs, when we teach his word. We need to make sure as much as possible that the things that we're saying are accurate. That they're accurate. That it's really true about the Lord. Have you ever gone through a song and looked and thought, hmm, that doesn't look right? Or you've been and you've heard a teaching and you thought, that doesn't sound right. It's because, guys, we need to have spiritual ears so that we can hear. Well, the response of these wise men, the Bible says, is they fell down and they worshipped him. Proskuneo. They worshipped him. But not only did they worship him, that worship included giving him something. Um, they gave, gave him three gifts. Now, there are several theologians that would say to you, be careful about how you read into these gifts. And I kind of jump on their back and say, be, let's be careful. But, What we can do is we can say, well, this may be true. The gold may represent, right, not only him being a king, but his deity and his purity. Frankincense may be a symbol of a high priest. Well, Jesus was the high priest, right? Um, Since it was used by high priest in their worship. And the myrrh was a symbol of what? Symbol of death. Myrrh was used for embalming. And so you go through there and you go, okay, well, that may be true, but the text doesn't tell us that. The text just says they gave these gifts to him. Uh, And so whether or not there's meaning behind the gifts, I don't know. But I know this, they presented the gifts to him because he was worthy of the gifts. He was worthy. And I'm thinking as I'm going through here and I'm like, you know, Lord... Here are these guys, they traveled all that distance. They get to Jerusalem and they say, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? They have this issue with Herod, right? And Herod's wanting to use these wise men so that he can find out where the Christ child is so that he can do away with them. But they still remain focused and they get to the house and they walk in and they see the child with Mary and they fall down and they worship him and they give to him. And I'm like, okay, what can we give? 
right? I look at that event, that story, and I go, that's awesome. These wise men remain focused. And they worshiped, the Bible says, and they fell down before the child. But the Bible says they also gave to the child. And I'm thinking, okay, that was great for them. But then I was thinking in terms of what am I giving to the Lord? What's my gift to the Lord? I want to suggest to you a gift. I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to Romans in the 12th chapter. Romans chapter 12. I want to suggest that you and I can give a gift to the king. Romans in chapter 12, in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes this, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy what? Sacrifice. Acceptable to God, which is your what? Spiritual service of worship. I look at these gifts and I think, you know, these guys were really focused in on, on worshiping the Lord and they did that and they gave those gifts and and I'm thinking, well, my life, I should really be focused on worshiping the Lord. And then, and then I have to ask the question, Lord, what can I give to you? And the answer is my life. That's what I can give. I give you my life. Because the focus of my life needs to be on you. And then I think about the Apostle Paul. And here's a man who was focused. A man who was focused, a man who understood that to live was Christ. And that's why he, he penned in Philippians 1, for to me... To live is Christ. It's Christ. The focal point in the life of the Apostle Paul was Christ. And Paul urges us as believers in Romans 12 to present our bodies as living and holy sacrifices, acceptable to the Lord. So you have the response of these wise men, and it's one of worship. I want to go back because there's another response to the king. And it's the reaction of Herod. We talked a little bit about that in verse 3. That he became agitated. But I thought, well, I want to carry this on a little bit further. Not only was he agitated, but he did something about it. It caused him to react and respond. And verse 8 said... He sent them to Bethlehem, being the wise men, and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me too, that I may come and worship him. We said, ah, that really wasn't his heart. That's not what he really wanted to do. He really wanted to eliminate the threat. Verse 12 gives us further insight to that. Look at verse 12 of Matthew 2. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country to another way. The they there is the wise men. They left and they went to their country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to do what? Destroy him. How many times in the Gospels do you see where someone is trying to get rid of Christ? Numerous times. 
In fact, in chapter 4 of Matthew, you have the temptation of Christ. And what is Satan trying to do there in Matthew chapter 4? I'm sorry? Deceiving. And do you know one of those points of deception? I want you to listen to this real quick. One of the points of deception is verse um, 8 in Matthew 4. Listen to this. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you do what? Fall down and worship me. (laughs) Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the issue there, right, is it's about worshiping God and him alone, right? Um, And Herod was threatened by this child and so Joseph was warned in a dream and then later on in Matthew chapter 2 the Bible says that Herod took action he took action and notice what it says in verse 16 and then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi he became very enraged all right and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its environs or surroundings from two years old and under according to the time which he ascertained from the Magi. I don't know about you, but when I read through that, I'm thinking, man, this one man who was threatened by this birth of the king, he acted on that threat. And you know what he did? He had all the male children slaughtered from birth to two. I was thinking about that. I was like, man, Lord, in order for one to remain, many had to be taken. But in order for any to be saved, one had to die. And that's Christ. Because just like Ron prayed in his prayer, and it's so true, there is only one way, and it's through Christ the Lord. There is only one Savior, there's only one way. And at Christmas time, we celebrate Christ, the Christ. I want to leave you just with a couple of things to take home this afternoon after you've gone to the store and bought that ice cream and those cookies. Um, make sure you buy like the buy one, get one. You can bring one to your pastor. Um, I wanted to give you three verses um, that speak about this focus of worship. Because that's really what's happening here in, in Matthew 2. These guys were so focused. And I thought, well, he speaks to Israel about that. Um, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5, he says, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath. And he's speaking to Israel here. You know, this is the context of the Ten Commandments. And he says, You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Guys, he didn't want us to worship anything else or anyone else besides himself. And that's what he told Israel, right? And then you go to Psalm 95, 6, and the focal point of worship there is the Lord. Come, the psalmist says, come let us worship and do what? Bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. You know what bowing down does? And people have asked me before, hey, Thad, should we bow? Well, if you want to bow, bow. I mean, if you want to go to your knees when we're praying, that's, that's between you and the Lord. 
But do you know what bowing does? There's this humility that comes with bowing, right? You know, you think about how, how if you went in front of a, a president or a king, I mean, you would want to do something, right, in front of them. Not, hey, bud, what's going on? I mean, you know, there, there would be this sense of, of reverence. And I think while, while there would be a sense of reverence, right, if I walk into the, present, into the presence of a president or a king, man, how much more reverence should there be in my life for the Lord? So when people talk about worship and public worship and, and what needs to go on and what doesn't need to go on, everything needs to be done decently in order. But if the Holy Spirit of God wants you to kneel, you kneel. Right? If you want to raise your hands, raise your hand. Just make sure they're holy hands. That's the issue. Right? There's not sin going on in your life. Well, got one more verse and then I'll let you go. All right? Revelation. I want you to, you can turn there or you can just look at the screen. There's a scene yet future. It's a beautiful scene. Because the church is with the Lord at this point. And, um... If anybody ever asks you, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? We're going to worship. Um, and that's good enough, by the way. That's all we need. <laughs> uh, Revelation 4 says, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. You know, the other time you see that holy, 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 you know when that is? In Isaiah chapter 6, right? And that, that picture there, and that vision there, right? That, that in Isaiah 6, and, and, and that phrase appears there too. Holy, holy, holy. And that word means separate. Separate, separate, separate is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou didst create all things. and Because of thy will they existed and were created. Notice back up at the top. These 24 elders the Bible tells us we'll worship him who lives forever and ever. And notice there's action in that worship, not just falling down, but they cast their crowns before the Lord. Again, we ask the question, Lord, what is it that I can throw before you today? And it's our lives. He wants our lives. Every single day of our life, the Lord wants it. You know, it's hard to remain focused. It's hard to have that focus all the time. Um, I wanted to share a story with you. When I was, um, when I was up in New York, um, there were a couple of gentlemen that had airplanes. And, um, and they wanted me to fly with them. I think I've told you the one story about Matt Garbett. And he was in Vietnam and, and we went up and and he, he took me up and he prayed before we went up and we came in for our landing and he took the plane sideways right before we were about to hit the ground and turned that baby because of the wind. I just was glad he, was, he knew what he was doing. 
But they had another guy up there that, that worked for a, a big airline and he had a plane and he took me up one time and I'll never forget the statement that he made to me because I'm just kind of like, if you know, I don't like to fly in case you, that's a new revelation to you. I do not like flying. And I was up there and he wanted to take me. I mean, John was a great guy and he wanted to take me flying. He wanted to fly me to Southern Pennsylvania for the day and he wanted to eat lunch and fly back. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. The man was in his mid-70s. And so we're flying and I'm looking at the scenery. There's lakes and there's trees. It's beautiful up there when you're flying. And I'll never forget, we piped 10 to 15 minutes in the flight and he said, that I really need you to focus on the instrument panel. And I thought, why in the world do I need to focus? Look, buddy, you're flying the plane. Now, he said these words. He said that, you know, if I was to have a heart attack <laughs> or a stroke, you could be flying this plane. And I looked at him and I said, John, if you have a heart attack or a stroke, the Lord's going to have to fly this plane. <laughs> but right in the middle of all that fun, he said, I need you to focus on the instrument panel. I need to teach you about what's going on just in case. My focus wasn't there until he said that and he told me he could have a heart attack or a stroke and then it was focused. You know, guys, in Christianity, living the Christian life, you know, sometimes... It takes hard things in life to get us focused, doesn't it? My prayer is that we could, with the help of the Spirit, stay focused every day. And what an opportunity during this Christmas season, while everybody's doing all the, the things that the way the world does, wouldn't it be great if our focus could just be on Christ and Him alone? Let's pray together. Lord, we want to just focus on You um, during our times here, it's all about you, as the writer of Revelation says. Uh, Lord, you're the only one worthy of honor and praise and glory. And we admit, Lord, that we get distracted. And as I was preparing for today, there's just so many things to be brought out in this one section. There's no way to do it all. But I was impressed with the focus of these men. And um, it just... It just really challenged me uh, about my life and about the focus of my life every day. And then I don't have to wait till Sunday to worship. I can worship you every day. And I can worship you any minute of the day. Whether I have somebody sitting in front of me or, or not, Lord, I can worship you. And I pray that you would help us with the help of the Holy Spirit to focus on you. And that when the distractions of this life come, that your Spirit would help us to stay focused. And even in the times that are difficult and hard and the times where we're really wrestling with things going on in our lives that aren't good, that are hurtful, that even in those times of hurt, that you would help us to focus in worshiping you because you alone are worthy of our worship. So, Lord, we ask that your Spirit would teach us, and we ask, Lord, that 
we would respond in a way that would be pleasing to you as we think about focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ day in and day out. And all these things we pray in his name. Amen.